Good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. Man, you guys are good looking. But a lot of new faces, so thanks for the intro. A slight correction. Now, who's an Andy Griffith fan in here? I knew Pete was, because anything east of like Greensboro is Raleigh. When we lived here, Chuck, my father-in-law, would say, oh, y'all going to Raleigh? I was like, well, we're actually going to Durham. It's about 30 miles away from Raleigh, but I get it. So we're River Life Chapel Hill. Go Tar Heels. Let's go. Come on. Oh, wow. This is a tough crowd this morning, man. We're, we're really going to be uh, relying on the Holy Spirit. So uh, I want to bring up my beautiful wife, Sarah Ruth. Give her a hand. And... Um, she felt like the Lord gave her a word for y'all. Anybody want a word? So listen up. So I'm going to read it because um, I was spending time with the Lord and I felt like the Lord specifically gave me a word, like a prophetic word for you guys. And out of that, then he gave me this whole message that I preached two weeks ago at um, our church, but it really came out of the prophetic word that I felt like the Lord gave me for you guys. And the word he said for me to give to you guys is by faith. So by faith. And he said, I, bel- this is, I just wrote it down. I believe God wants to give you some gifts. And the way you're going to receive it, because you may ask how or how's this going to happen, is by faith. You step into it, embrace it, and it's going to be by faith. You may have doubt, unbelief, and there may be even disappointment that's going to want to advise you against it. There may be that the, there's going to be disappointment sometimes that has happened in the past, or there have been things in the past that you're like, yeah, been there, done there, got the t-shirt, and it didn't work. So don't, I want to encourage you, when the Lord comes to you with a gift, Don't be advised by unbelief or disappointment or things that haven't worked in the past. And just receive it, embrace it by faith. Just remind yourself, by faith. The Lord, okay, so that wants to advise you against it, but the Lord is giving you an opportunity, a gift, and you just receive it by faith and enter into his rest by the finished works of Jesus. Get in your lane and start by saying yes to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He is trustworthy. And so I just want you to take a moment and say, God, what are you asking for me to receive by faith and to step into by faith. So just close your eyes for a minute. I just I want you to put your hands out like this. You know, when the Lord spoke this to me, I thought, oh, Lord, there have been so many times where we've been like, the Lord wants to give us a gift. And I had no paradigm for what that looked like. But then it's like, as the Lord has been speaking this to me, I've seen it. He's revealing it more and more where these really are finished works that he has already done that he's asking you to just step into and receive and embrace by faith. So Lord, right now, we just, we just open ourselves up to you and we say, what is it, Lord, that you want us to receive by faith right now? We say yes to you 
we open up our hearts, we, we shut our heart, we shut our minds and our attention off to unbelief. We shut out the lies that want to advise us from disappointments or the way it didn't work in the past. We just say no to that and we say yes to you, Lord. You are trustworthy. You are worthy to be trusted, Lord. And we receive right now by faith those gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, during worship, I saw, um, I, I saw or felt, I don't know which, honey dripping in the room. And you know, honey represents biblically revelation, divine revelation that only God can give us, right? And as I'm seeing this honey, and then they go into the, those last two songs that were from the 80s, you know, I exalt thee. Let's sing that together. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord. One more time. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord. There are some things from the past that God is not finished with yet in your life. By faith, lay hold of these promises, lay hold of these heritages, Lay hold of these songs, lay hold of these dreams, and let God raise them up because there is a future right now that is that will not do away with the past but built on everything that God has done. Amen? And so I just feel this thing, and you know, there's a, there's sort of, I notice a trend right now in the worship music, um, you know, circle genre out there towards the uh, songs of the 90s. Um, in the early 2000s, I was just uh, watching a conference at uh, the Toronto church plant in Raleigh, Catch the Fire, and they actually were recording an album that's a rework of all the songs from the Toronto Blessing. Yeah, outpouring. And then um, as I've been listening to A Very Maverick Christmas, anybody got that one yet? Yeah, I would recommend it. But they are plugging in these old songs in with the Christmas hymns. And it's so powerful. It's like any, and so, and there was somewhere else that that was going on too. But the point is this, I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing something right now where he's connecting the old with the new. And just like I said about that, the Catch the Fire album, there's a reworking of things. And so, the, the word that the Lord's put in my spirit for you guys this morning, at first I had titled it, and this might be on the screen, How Not to Miss a Miracle. But early this morning, late last night, one of those, the Lord retitled that slightly for us, and instead of how not to miss a miracle, it's how to not miss your destiny, how to not miss your destiny, because one thing I know about miracles is it's interesting how a skeptic can always find another explanation for a miracle, right? 
Instead of the Red Sea, it was the Reed Sea, and it was actually only so deep. And I don't care if a man born blind's eyes were open and he got new eyeballs. There will always be a skeptic with another explanation for how that could happen. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Even in this room here this morning, God could start moving powerfully and one person is getting blasted by the Holy Spirit and the other person is just sitting there like, well, I don't know if this is God. That's probably never been you. Believe it or not, Byron said that was him years and years ago. So <laughs> he repented. Thank God, right? So just how a skeptic will always miss a miracle, a skeptic will also miss their destiny. And so I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just break off the skepticism off of our hearts. I feel like for my young generation, because I'm a young man, for my young generation and those under me, skepticism is, is pandemic. You know, it's, it, it's, there's very much suspicion. And the culture hasn't helped that any, have they? It's just everything, you just like, something doesn't feel exactly true in that. It just feels a little off. And little by little, we can... I think we can bring that into our walk with the Lord even. Even our study of the scripture or the sermons that are preached or whatever. And the Lord wants to break that off of us. So why don't we just pray right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you all across this room. If there's any ounce of cynicism or unbelief, we repent, Lord. Lord, we're, we're sorry for that. We, I didn't even know I was doing it. <laughs> Maybe that's... That's an honest prayer. I didn't even know, Lord, but I can feel that little hardness in my heart, and I ask you to remove it, Holy Spirit, by your grace. We just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, amen. So I just finished this series in my church in Chapel Hill um, on the 10 miracles of Jesus in Matthew 8 and 9, and uh and I entitled it Signs That Make You Wonder. And, and here's what we wonder, is what is Jesus saying to the church today? Just like in the opening chapters of Revelation, you know how Jesus is speaking directly to the seven churches. I believe that in every miracle, there's a message. In every miracle, there's a message. And so as we're unpacking these miracles, my question to the Holy Spirit, and I'm trying to convey to my church is, what is Jesus saying, not then, but today through this miracle? Because we need to grab a hold of these things. And even in your life, every miracle, has anybody ever had God do any kind of miracle in your life? Raise your hand. Maybe it was a financial miracle. Did you know that that miracle wasn't just for that situation? That miracle was so that when you encountered something similar in the future, then you can remember back to what God did and say, oh, I know who my God is. I know how faithful he is. I know what he's promised me. And then you can begin to exercise your faith in that direction. And he may not do it exactly, usually doesn't. He may not do it exactly the same way. Like, has anybody ever got just a random check in the mail? I'm not just talking about a check from the government. I mean, just like, a, you know, a random check. But a check from the government, it could be random and can meet a God you've been praying need. But whatever it is, like, what? 
So then the next time you have this crisis or whatever, and you're like going to the mailbox every day. Has anybody ever done that? I'm a church planner. I've done that a lot. Like, oh God, what's in the, what are we going to eat today? You know? And, and so, so then the next time though, Jesus is saying, wait, remember Matthew. Remember not just how I moved, but who I am in your life. Oh, yes, Lord. So in every miracle that God does, even today, there is a message in it for you to take with you and to meditate upon those things. So in in Signs That Make You Wonder, the 10 miracles of Jesus, it's interesting, the text this morning is is Matthew 9, starting in verse 9, where Matthew, and I love this character, and um. I think that the Chosen series has sort of brought out uh, a take on this personality that is very interesting to me. And, and, um, but in the middle of him going through these miracles, you know, healing of the leper, the um, raising of the Roman centurion's, or the healing of the Roman centurion's son, um, uh, the the demonized men, I mean, there's just, you can look back at those. There's 10 of them in just those two chapters. Um, The author, the apostle Matthew, he takes a break in the middle of chapter nine and he begins to, what I see is reflect. He's not just reflecting on others, but he's reflecting on the miracle that Jesus did in his life. And so um, let's dive into this here because remember in every one of, even in Matthew's life, in every message there's a miracle. And, And so He's, he's recollecting in these 10 miracles to tell of, and here's what the miracle is, the most unlikely person to be chosen by Jesus was this guy that he looked at in the mirror himself. I can relate with that. I don't know if you can. <laughs> I, was, I always, every time I'm here, I was, this morning I was thinking back to, Uh, January 1998, stumbling into this church that was down by Liberty Gas Station. Becky was leading worship on a really bad sound system. And Byron preached a message called, God has a plan for your life. And that message changed my life. Because I felt like the most unlikely person that God could forgive, that God could use. I was a Christian, but I was just in a really bad place. And maybe that's you sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I know God's got a plan for my life, Matthew, but I sure have done my best to screw it up. Yeah, I know about that. I often would look back and go, man, Lord, you are, your grace is, un, it's hard to describe because I literally felt like there were times where I was trying to mess up God's plan for my life and he wouldn't let me. I mean, you know, you can't, un, you can't describe or explain that. But it's just how good your daddy is. It's how good Papa is. He is a loving father who has plan A, B, C, D, and triple Z. Like when you think you've gotten off, that's all right. Because he's got another pathway right back into your destiny. If you will just simply believe and not miss the next season that he has for you. Because I think all of us have a coming season that is gonna just be beyond our wildest imagination. All right, 
Within this passage of Matthew 9, we find a tremendous message for his church. We pick up here, who was Matthew? Well, obviously he was a Jew. Was he looking for Jesus? Not really. Was he following the signs that Jesus was leaving around them? Not so much. Not really. No, what, well, what was he doing? All right, well, that's what it tells us in verse 9, Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus left Capernaum, he came upon a tax-collecting station where a Jewish man named Matthew was collect, collecting taxes for the Romans. Now, let's don't sugarcoat this. What was he actually doing? He was extorting money from his own people to give to this Roman occupying force in the nation of Israel. Is that not correct? In so many words, he was colluding with the Russians. The Romans were known for brutalizing women and children. If you go beyond, if you go to extra biblical texts, you can find that what they were doing would make all of us just shudder in horror. They were, they were raping, they were pillaging, they were brutalizing, they were killing babies. I mean, all of that. Sometimes I think in the Christmas story, we sort of like to gloss over the part where Herod took all the baby boys of Jesus' age and had them executed in the streets. Can you imagine the blood and the horror and the terror? Did it ever dawn on you that Jesus didn't have any little boys his age? He grew up with a lot of girls in his generation. This is what the Romans were known for. And this man that we call Matthew in English anyway, he was helping them. He was cooperating with them. He was probably taking too much money from people and forcing them to give over money to pay in taxes that they didn't even owe. In verse 10, Oh no, sorry, it's still in verse nine. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, though, comes by and says, come follow me, Jesus said to Matthew. Immediately, Matthew jumped up and began to follow Jesus. We don't know why. What caused this man to sort of, in his heart, in a sense, begin to repent and follow I think because for the first time in his life, when Matthew looked into the eyes of this man, Jesus, he saw who he really was. He saw pure love. Jesus doesn't come to him like, you rotten scum. You better get up right now. Repent and come with me. I'm going to show you. No. He just says, hey, 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 Tim, how you doing? Hey, Tim, come with me. I want to come to your house. And then Jesus walks into his house, and in my mind's eye, he sits down on the sofa, kicks his feet up on the coffee table, and begins to watch Tar Heel basketball. <laughs> it's blue heaven there. And yeah, I mean, he's just excited. <laughs> but it does say in the text that Jesus went to Matthew's house and made himself at home. Made himself at home. Who would like to, for Jesus to make himself at home in your house? Do you think Matthew felt worthy enough for that? I, I don't think I would, even right now. But many other tax collectors and outcasts of society 
were invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Yeah, in my, um, I teach the sixth grade history class, first period. It's my only teaching class of the day. I'm done by nine. It's awesome. I get my teaching fix and I'm gone. But in this class, I learned something that I don't think I had caught on to before as we're studying ancient India, that if you think about it, where does the word outcast in our vocabulary come from? Outside of the caste system. There's four major castes, and then, of course, there's the untouchables. Those who are lepers, diseased, or have done, they're outside of even the terrible caste system. And these were those, these were the outcasts of culture. These are the ones who everyone sort of demonized and looked down upon. And that's who Jesus decided to hang out with. And then they invited to eat with Jesus and his disciples. Verse 11, when those known as the Pharisees saw what was happening, they were indignant. And they kept asking Jesus' disciples, why would your master dine with such lowlifes, tax collectors and sinners? Why would he even hang out with these people? And I think sometimes I even see that reflection in my own heart. It's like, Lord, look at these people over here, or those people over there, or this this thing that's facing us in our culture, and there's this attitude that sometimes arises. Like, Lord, I don't really want to hang out with them. I'm not sure that you would either. And I feel like the Lord's saying the opposite to me. He said, Matthew, my heart breaks. As we have a prayer and worship tent at UNC every Tuesday, and we're able to be out there, and we give out grandma's homemade cookies, literally, a good cup of coffee, can't go wrong with that, and then free hugs and free prayers. What do you think the response is like on the college campus to that today? Overwhelming. People come in crying. People come in asking. I just have a sense that people are saying, is there anything true out here? Can somebody show me any truth? Because they know that it's not coming in the classroom. They feel like they're being sort of deceived in the general culture. And so there's just this hunger. But on the surface, you and I may look at them and go, Ugh. we would never want to say this openly, but let's just be honest. There's a little part of us that would want to like, mm, you know, like get, get a little cleaned up, like put some clothes on. And uh, just a couple months ago, there was this young lady that walked in, and uh, she, she came in, and she began to come every Tuesday, because the cool thing is, we sort of get to know people as we're there every week. If you guys remember the Lee Park days, we set up, remember how we, it was like family. It was like, oh, we, we call them by name, they call us by name, we know people. That's an awesome way to do ministry, and so it has kind of become like that. So this young woman, I'll call her Audrey, Audrey's coming, and by the way, this girl is sharing her testimony in our church right now this morning and she begins to come and um one day she she shares with me that she was raised in a neo-pagan household in Maryland and I realized in discussion that that was code language for um a house full of witches okay and and so before she was even out of high school I think in middle school she moved out of the home 
because of the severe abuse and neglect that she had experienced there. And, and so she was just obviously this broken vessel. Be, on the surface, it's kind of rough. Okay, are you following me? So we get to pray for her and minister to her. The Lord gave me a word of knowledge for her that she began to cry. and just, It was just something simple like, God says you're his favorite. Audrey, and she's crying, and then, you know, just other stuff, and then, so she keeps coming back, and then we invite her to church, and she comes a couple of Sundays to church. Then the next Tuesday, after she had been, like, the second time to church, we're setting up the tent that Tuesday morning, and we always pray when we're getting started. I'm like, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that Audrey would be born again. Today would be the day, Lord, and so she walks into the tent, and she said, did you hear? And I was like, did I hear what? She said, well, this ex-boyfriend of mine that I went to high school with, he committed suicide last week. And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Audrey. And she says, she just goes, you know, starts talking about it. And I said, you know, and I'd given her a Bible and we had talked about John 3 and all these kinds of things and being born again. And, and I said, you know, Audrey, the Bible says that the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He goes, she goes, I know, and that would have been me from age 14 to 1. I was like, I know, but Audrey, God has a destiny on your life. He has called you. He has knit you together in your mother's womb for a purpose. And it was like her eyes just brightened. And you could feel that she was saying, do you think that's really true about me? I said, yes, I do. Would you like to pray that you would be born again? So we got to join hands. And right there in that little 12 by 12 awning, Audrey meets Jesus for the first time in her life. And now she's telling a 10-minute version of that story right now at our church in Chapel Hill. But I could have missed something if I would have rejected the outward surface and demeanor of this young lady. It's not hard to do, actually. You see, Jesus picked the most unlikely person and people to invite into relationship. He picked the most unlikely people to bring revelation into his kingdom. Has it ever dawned on you that he, he picked Judas Iscariot, the traitor? I pick you. Out of all the candidates, he picks this thief, liar, and a scoundrel, and a deceiver, and the ultimate betrayer. Now, you know, it's a question, did he know, da-da-da-da, is that why he picked him? I don't know, but all I know is Jesus, the love of the Father, was emanating from this man. And I think even down to the last, Jesus loved Judas with everything in him. So here we have this character, Matthew, who, like I said, is, is colluding with the Russians or the Romans, the liberals, the deep stay, or whoever it is you deem to be the ultimate evil people leading our nation into decay. Let me ask you a pointed question. What if God asked you to go pray for one of those? What if God, you're just minding your own business in your own quiet time, and you know that you know the Spirit of God comes into the room and says, hey, hey, Rhonda, 
Would you be willing? I have this person over here. Uh, think the worst of the worst. I'm not going to tell you. Who, I'm not, it, it, it could be different for all of us. The worst person, let's say for the sake of a bad character like a Jeffrey Epstein. Okay? A molester of and a trafficker of girls. What if God came to you and said, hey, I'm doing this thing in this, in Jeffrey Epstein, I know he's passed away, but in Jeffrey Epstein's life, will you go and pray for him? Oh, heck no, God. I know who that guy is. He deserves hellfire. You're right, but don't we all? What if even we ask God, what, let me flip this question. What if we ask God for opportunities to go hang out with him? Think about the story in, in Acts 9. Let me digress from our text just for a minute. Is that okay? In Acts 9, you got the story of Paul, right? What is he doing before Acts 9? <laughs> I mean, you know what I described about the Romans? He was doing that to his own people. He was pulling women, children, men out of their homes. Um, remember, he was standing there when Stephen was stoned to death. What a horrible way to die. He was standing there giving approval to that. At the very least, he was having people in prison and tortured. That's who this guy is. Um, I think of it as this most unlikely guy like the leader of ISIS or the former leader, al-Baghdadi. You know, let's say you're in your quiet time like Ananias, just minding your own business, and Jesus comes to you and says, hey, Paula, would you go pray for this guy, al-Baghdadi? What would your response be? Mine is like, oh, I know who that guy is. Like, he beheads people. Lord, like, I don't think I'm signing up for that ministry op. You know, no offense, Lord. In, in Acts 9, 10, let me just read it. I'll go quick. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. Again, put yourself in Ananias' shoes. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name Ananias. Yes, Lord. Oh, everything's happy right now. We're good. God's talking. I'm responding. The Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. Now look at Ananias' response. But Lord, <laughs> but God... Um, many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. The Lord answered him, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before the kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. You see? Ananias could have missed the greatest miracle that shifted world history, the birth of the church through this man Saul that the Bible begins to refer to him by his Greek name because he was called to be an apostle of the Gentiles. Go and pray for this guy, the worst of the worst. 
He could have missed it because he knew just how bad this dude was. So could I. So could we. But Lord could be our response if we aren't tuning in and perceiving what the Father is doing in our world around us. Even right here in Mooresville, in the Charlotte area, in Chapel Hill, Durham and Raleigh, whatever area we live in, whatever community we are in, I guarantee you there are some of what we would consider the worst of the worst in our communities. And I believe one of the things God's gonna do is he's going to save, these people are gonna become born again and become mighty evangelists for the kingdom of heaven. You see, because they have an influence, they have a network that none of us would even imagine. Drug cartels, human traffickers. Let's soften our hearts to allow God to do something that he might wanna do. I mean, after all, Jesus picked me. How about you? He hung out with me. He gave me a lot of grace, you know? So the church folks were wondering why Jesus would hang out with those colluding with the enemy, like prostitutes, drug addicts, etc. If God gave you the opportunity, would you go to lunch or coffee with them? For what reason? I mean, we shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin, not condoning it. We shouldn't be surprised when evil people do evil. That's what evil people do. But deep down, guys, they know there's something wrong. They know it. And so what if they looked into your eyes and saw the eyes of love? Just like Jesus with the Zacchaeus. Just like Jesus with the, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Just like Matthew here in this passage, we have the eyes of love. Mm. I think like the woman who, who bled for 12 years and she had spent everything on all the latest medical research, all the doctors. She saw love, she saw this man and my take on it is she was born again in her heart because she saw this man, Jesus. She believed, in other words. She believed when she saw him, and then she knew, man, I know if I could just grab his prayer garment, his prayer shawl, I will be healed. I feel this kind of hunger on the streets of my city. I feel this thing in the atmosphere. But we have to separate ourselves from all the noise. Ananias was in his prayer room when God spoke and invited him to go minister to a notorious sinner that would change history. Our ability to perceive correctly will impact not just our destinies, but the destinies of those around us. Verse 12, when Jesus overheard this, he spoke up and said, healthy or righteous people don't need to see a doctor, but the sick, that means those who do evil, the sick will go for treatment. Then he added, he turned to those listening, he turned to the Christians, okay, let's just say that. He turned to them and he said, now you should go and study the meaning of this verse. Now if Jesus were standing here today and he read a verse and he goes, hey, Mary, you need to go home and look this one up. What do you think Mary would do? She wouldn't be nonchalant about it. In fact, hey, before lunch, I'm going to read this verse. Like, the first thing you're gonna do if you love Jesus is you're gonna go look this verse up. Yeah. 
In other words, this feels critically important to me. This isn't just like, oh, that's a nice little verse. I'll put that on the refrigerator. No, this is something extremely, extremely important. So let's feel, perceive what God might be saying to us. And it comes from, um, it comes from Hosea, who, by the way, was the prophet God told to marry a prostitute. Do y'all remember that? And, um, and it says this, Hosea 6, 6, very short verse. I want you to show mercy, not just offer me a sacrifice. Here's how Jesus said it. For I have come to invite the outcasts, remember that word, of society and sinners, not those who think they are already on the right path. I want to show, in the NLT, Hosea 6, 6 says it this way. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. In Matthew 23, there's another cross reference, just the end of Matthew 23. It says, um, these matters are all good, what you do, you know, your ties and all that. But he said, but yet you ignore the most important duties of all, to walk in the love of God, to display mercy to others, and to live with integrity. And then he goes, now readjust your values and place first things first. See, I think God wants us to readjust our values. I think readjusting our values begins with repentance. Because as Pastor Byron has said countless times, repentance means to change the way we think. Well, when you change the way you think, it will alter your values. It will alter what you spend time on, what you spend money on, and who you hang out with. One theologian wrote regarding this passage, to offer a sacrifice, stated here, would be a metaphor for placing strict obedience to, the keeping, to keeping the rules or the law over the triumph of mercy's kiss in our dealings with others. Sadly, many religious people today read this as, here's how they read this text, I desire religious exactness, not mercy. Transforming ministry shows unmerited mercy to the sick. Now, just following this passage, let me keep an eye on the clock here. Jesus brings a new reality, okay? Jesus brings a new reality. Don't you love that? The kingdom. Who loves the kingdom reality? The, ki- the, the kingdom's not just a theoretical abstract. The kingdom, re- the kingdom is a whole new reality that we live in. In, John, in Matthew 9, 14, it says, the disciples of John the Baptist approached Jesus with this question, why is it that we and the Pharisees fast regularly, but you're not your disciples? Jesus replied, how can the sons of the bridal chamber grieve when the bridegroom is next to them, but the days of fasting will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them? Verse 16, and who would mend worn out clothing with new fabric? When the new cloth shrinks, it will rip, making the hole worse than before. And who would, would pour fresh new wine into an old wineskin? Eventually, the wine will ferment and make the wineskin burst, losing everything. The wine is spilled and the wineskin ruined. Instead, new wine is always poured into a new wineskin so that both are preserved. Now, I don't know much about wineskins, never used one. 
Uh, maybe the claw thing, I can sort of imagine that, even though I've never been into that sort of thing either. Um, so let me give you the, um, the Bollinger translation. Okay, this is, you know how the, ma- the Message Bible would use like modern language and analogies to help you understand what is going on in a modern context? It's sort of like this. I would translate 16 and 17 like this. Who would down a new, who, sorry, let me start over. Who would download a new program onto an old operating system? Have you ever done that? If you do, you will crash the hard drive, losing everything on your computer. Instead, get a new OS, a new operating system, and you will be able to download a new program called OS the Kingdom. You see, and that's what God is doing with the church right now. He's taken, let's go back to the songs, the best of the old, repackaging them for the new. He's saying, this is an upgrade. You don't throw out, you know, um, Microsoft Word. Well, maybe you have, but, you know, Byron still uses it. Bless him. You don't throw out the old, because when did Word come out? I mean, gosh, eons ago now. No, it just is upgraded to meet and be compatible with what's happening now in the computer technology. The same thing with God is he's not throwing out what you learned when you got saved or, or what was happening back in the 1970s or 60s or however old you are, but he's doing a new thing. OS the kingdom. So what Jesus brought, again, I've already said this, but it wasn't just new principles to follow. I I like principles, just tell me what to do, I'll do it, Lord, and then we're good. Like, there's there's that aspect sometimes of our Christianity that we just want to know, okay, just make it real practical, right? You like to watch those YouTube preachers who just, they're real practical, they give you like these three easy steps, like, okay, I can do that, and then you go do that, and you check the box with God, and like, but that, do you do your marriage like that? I hope not. My wife is smacking me if I'm like checking boxes. It's relational. God is is stirring a passion in our hearts. So what Jesus brought wasn't just new Christian principles or a new way of seeing things or exchange the old law of Moses for a new law. What he brought was an entirely new reality from which you can live. You know, I just thought, I just saw this yesterday. There's a new matrix coming out. I'm not saying that's prophetic. It just happens to be true. Because if you remember in the old matrix, I think it was like the red pill. If you take the right pill, then you can see the background reality to what is actually happening. It's sort of a fitting spiritual analogy to the kingdom versus the physical world that we live in. So since Jesus picked the most unlikely people, real quick, how can someone like Matthew, the apostle, or Matthew Bollinger, or any of, us, any of us sitting in this room, how can someone like us not just turn from our sin, because we've done that and we're doing that, but enter an entirely new reality? And I actually think this is also not just how to miss God, but it's also about how, to miss, how not to miss your destiny. We don't want to miss God, but we also don't want to miss God's plan for us, right? Let's be honest. So these are just very three simple things. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Number one, repent often. (laughs) This isn't rocket science, guys. 
Sometimes the simplest things are the most profound. Did anybody repent this morning during worship? You know, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, help. Lord, change my perspective. Lord, shift my heart. Whatever it is. Be in a habit of always being in a humble place to repent often, not just sorrowfully from sin, although that's good, but joyfully from a pattern of thinking. How many have ever experienced joy over repentance? It's like that old song, it hurts so good. Come on, you know. It's like, come on, Jesus, it hurts so good. When I repent, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, you can't teach old dogs new tricks, but God can. It's like sometimes we're just in these patterns of seeing things. Has anybody ever have one of your theological boxes not just broken, but like exploded by God? And it wasn't the devil that did it. It was God that did it. He took your little pet theology belief about God and he just set out a stick of dynamite, dynamite in it. You know, that's a good thing because he's not gonna leave you high and dry. He's gonna rebuild. Maybe you've been in a season of loss, a season of fear, a season of anxiety, a season of depression. See, God is gonna shift something as Arthur Burt said, deal with the lie and fear will die, right? Fear is always built on a lie. Deal with the lie and fear will die. What that is is repentance, y'all. It's God shifting something. Number two, repentance enables me to perceive correctly what God is saying. Repentance, so repent often because... It follows that, number two, repentance enables me to perceive correctly what God is saying. Just, <laughs> let me, this is a crazy story. We had this great Sunday morning a few weeks ago, and then right after church, Sarah and I went out to, to lunch at one of our favorite Chapel Hill restaurants with this, this girl in our church, and we're going, it's one of those, like well, one of those bowl places, you know, so you're going through the line to build your bowl, tell them what you want and everything. And I just happened to be, not intentionally, but okay, maybe a little intentionally, but the only guy in the line without a mask on. Okay. So this lady that I surmise is the manager um, there on that shift, I'm, I mean, there's like 12 or 15 people standing in this line. She runs out from behind the counter, runs around the restaurant and says, you, do you have your mask? And I'm like, mm. I'm like, no, I don't, but do you have one? And she's like, no, we don't. They're at Whole Foods next door. I'm like, well, I don't have one, so I guess, you know, it'll be all right. And she's like, we will not serve you, sir. And, you know, this isn't a mask or no mask thing. It just, this, this thing rose up in me that wasn't God. You know, and, and I walked out to the college to get my mask. Let me go find a stupid mask. And, but the Lord through my wife was saying to me <laughs> later, like, Matthew, don't make a big deal of this. And you see, the thing that the Lord began, what I perceived was that this person in front of me that was confronting me there was something deeper than just a mask. There was something deeper even than the fear of COVID and its spread or whatever, or keeping her business safe. There was something deeper there. And I began to feel the heart of the Father for her. 
And, you know, I didn't, like, run up to her and give her a prophetic word. I didn't actually get to talk to her at all. I was actually still kind of fuming, like, the whole time that we're eating. So all this is post-process mode. But I'm just thinking, you know, the whole thing about hurt people hurt people or whatever. Like, you never know when someone treats you in a way that is opposed to the way you would like to be treated, what they have been going through. Perhaps her husband just died of COVID. You know, I mean, I don't know. Like, and the last thing I would want to do is like stomp on her fear and all that and her anxiety. No, forbid it that it be in my heart. God, have mercy. Have mercy on her. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on us, Lord. So repentance enables me to perceive the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father. Then number three, very simply, perceiving what God is saying enables me then to humbly experience the power of the kingdom. Perceiving what God is saying and doing around us, then we get in on the good stuff. Like the fun stuff. The stuff we like to talk about on Sunday morning and celebrate. But then Monday morning comes around and somebody cuts you off in traffic and it's like, what happened to Sunday morning? You know, you just cut the worship music off and turn on something else. It's like, oh. But perceiving what God is saying enables me to humbly experience the power of the resurrection in me and through me. The healing of the 10 lepers comes to mind. All 10 were healed, but only one Samaritan perceived correctly that Jesus was the Messiah and came back and thanked him. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. What if, back to Acts 8 and 9, what if Ananias would not have perceived correctly what God was wanting to do? Just remember this in conclusion. Everything rises and falls on the word of the Lord. Everything. Everything always has in the beginning was the word. Everything always will it all rises and falls on the word of the Lord. You guys stand with me. I want to pray for you. Pray for us. Amen. Pray for us that the Lord would have mercy on us. That he would shift our hearts and minds. That we could see, because I believe that spiritual perception is kind of the key thing of the day. We need to be able to perceive what the, what's going on. Because even ways that we have gotten, oh, how do I say this? Ways that we may have gotten information even from the church or the church world or, and I, I mean like the global church, like podcasts or YouTube or Christian television or whatever. Even ways that we have seen and believe are true and we're getting what is right Sometimes, again, to quote another Arthur Burtism, the good is the enemy of the best. And sometimes there are things that are spiritually, principally true, but are not true for you or the given situation. I don't want to go into another sermon, but just think about David. One thing I love about David is his connection with the Father. So when God says, hey, go to attack the Philistines or whoever the enemy is, go attack them head on. And you will win. Then he goes, he attacks them head on, they win. Then the next time that they go out to fight the Philistines, David humbly goes, okay, Lord, how do you want me to attack them this time? 
is head on right, it's spiritually principled right, if that's the way you live your life, because that's the way you do it. And that's what God said last time. But no, God says, no, I want you to circle around back. I want you to attack him from the right flank. Oh, you see, but what happens if David goes on head on? He loses. You see, and sometimes in the church, we're getting our tails kicked. I mean, we're getting whipped, and then we're like blaming God. Like, God, we did what you said. No, you did what he said last time. Go to him in an intimate relationship and let him speak to you for this time. And then he's going to give you a strategy on how to defeat that enemy. Okay, thank you, Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are always good. And Lord, even when we get it wrong, you are so merciful to set us right. So Lord, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to continue to marinate this word in our hearts. Let it grow roots down deep so that when dark times arise again in our world, Lord, we will be rooted and grounded in you in our intimacy with you and our passion with you. And Lord, we ask you to forgive us, Lord. We ask you to recalibrate our hearts according to the measure of what you are saying today. We thank you, God. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. That was really good, wasn't it? I just really wanted to confirm, because uh, last night, Byron and I were having a conversation in the living room, and, and I was saying to him, because um, the Lord really started speaking to me again about, you know, the word Pharisees actually meant the separated ones. And I felt like the Lord began speaking to me again this week about that word that we too often as believers living on principle become the separated ones from the world around us. And we, we said last night in our living room, Matthew, this, that really it boils down to this, to love mercy, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And we just said last night to each other, we have to get back to this because of the, the atmosphere the church has been in for the last two years. We have to get back to that sympathy because we cannot live our lives as the separated ones. And how that happens is we begin to live by principle rather than by the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to say yes and amen to this message today. Because do you understand what we're saying? We can live by a principle and it will be death. We don't live by law. We live by the voice of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will always follow principle. But it's not principle first. It is. We, we have to get back to this thing of love and mercy. Love and mercy. And so amen to this word. So good. So uh, we want to call the ministry team up to pray for people, and I really feel like the Lord wants to pray for those, wants us to pray for those who may feel like they have a miracle. They're on the brink of a miracle. They're just waiting for it, and they feel like they're doing all the right things, and they have their heart postured in the right place, but it's, they're still not seeing it. And I just want to pray for those that feel like maybe they already missed their destiny. The Lord says, no, you haven't missed it. There's still a miracle coming. Don't give up hope. Don't let the enemy speak to your soul that you've missed it. So we just, and we just ask the Lord to speak encouragement to your heart. 
Um, we want you to come up here and get prayer for those things. Even if you've been prayed for before, I know sometimes it can get discouraging and disappointing if you keep getting prayed for the same things, but don't give up hope. And we also want to call up David and Nina. Um, come on up, you guys. They're going to be going to South Africa. They haven't been back to South Africa. Nina hasn't seen her family in a couple of years. And they're going to be heading back soon for a couple months. And so we want to just also pray for them. Bless you guys and your trip and the, and the ministry opportunities that you'll have when you're there. And, and just your just blessings over your travels. So... So if you would like prayer, please come forward. If you, um, if you don't need prayer this morning, then be blessed. Uh, don't forget to pick up your kids from Sunday school. And uh, we just ask, Lord, be with each one. Go with us this week. Thank you for our message this morning. We do pray, Lord, for your destiny, for your miracles to not go unattained in our lives. We ask that the Lord... Your spirit would just make a way right now, in Jesus' name. We pray for the Christmas season right now, for anybody who's feeling discouraged or lonely or heartbroken this Christmas season. We just pray that you would meet them where they're at. Be their comforter, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the words you've spoken to us this morning. We pray that they would be fruitful this week, in Jesus' name. Amen.